Hey guys, here we are, the Quiggin' Out MMA podcast, and I have an incredibly special guest. Um, I don't know if many of you know this, but the first fighter I ever interviewed when I got into MMA journalism, and now she's sitting there, and I expected a belt over your shoulder, but you have the belt, the one, the only, the current Bellator flyweight champion, Liz Gorilla Carmouche. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Not too bad. Oh my gosh, so... Like we talked about, we have not talked in 11 years. We've, like, chatted. We've not done, like, an official interview. And what better time now that four months ago, you got the gold. And I'm just talking about, like, how does it feel to be champ? Like, how does that feel? Uh, it, no, honestly, it still feels the same. Um, I mean, you know, I thought that we talked a little bit with Bellator post-fight. And they're like, yeah, we're going to have this huge media tour. You're going to go to... Uh, television networks, radio networks. We're going to come interview and everything. That that still hasn't happened. Um, and then I've been knocking on their door, begging them for a fight. It feels like just like before I got the belt, where it's that same thing where I'm saying, hey, I train full-time. I'm ready. I'm healthy. Please give me a fight. And I feel like I'm doing that same thing. So it's still <laughs> the same life. Nothing's changed for me. Nothing's any different. Winning the fight or post-fight. And that's, that's kind of sad, actually. <laughs> like it's, it's, Here we are. <laughs> A long time ago. So what I thought would be kind of fun is I'm going to read some of the questions and answers that we had 11 years ago. Nice. And I'm going to see how your opinion has changed because 11 years ago, (laughs) um, I asked you if Ronda Rousey was the future face of women's MMA. And you said they look for very cute feminine women, people like Gina Carana and Misha Tate, who you ended up fighting. And I was there for that fight in Orlando. (laughs) That one came full circle. Um, There you go. Who do you feel now is the face of women's MMA? Because I feel like obviously Ronda's kind of pushed aside, but who do you think it is now? Uh, I think similar just how we heard so many echoes once Gina Carano got out of the fight game. Uh, once Strike Force ended, we still kept hearing echoes of her name and mentioned the possibility of her coming back. I feel like we're, those are the echoes around the now. Like she's uh, the ghost of MMA past and she's still the talk of the town. You still hear about her. And not not to talk talk down. I mean, she's super successful what she's doing in WWE and having her farm, raising all those animals. Um, I mean, she, for, for no lack of trying, has done great outside of MMA. Yeah. But people keep talking about, well, you know, she's going to come back. And she's like, no, nah, I'm not coming back. But other people keep turning those those names. It's not her. Um, but I think right now, uh, Amanda Nunez is probably the face of women's MMA. I think that's a name that because she's she's fulfilling the role of, of holding a title in two divisions, because she is openly out, because she's a mom. She just hits a lot of the categories where other people can, multiple people can identify with her and connect with her because they feel like they have something in common with her. Uh, so I think right now she's a face that somebody, anybody in MMA recognizes and knows who she is. Absolutely. And I think that was a perfect choice, obviously. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Cats, the dogs, everybody's like That's... trying to be on the podcast right now. <laughs> anybody watching, special guest. So if you're listening, you need to you need to go over to the YouTube channel and check it out. <laughs> but it's it's perfect how it was because Amanda's done something no guy has done an MMA and I'm saying that and people are going to get upset and it's defend both belts simultaneously. Yeah. He's constantly working. And you know, the, the last Pena fight before the rematch, you know, I didn't really think anybody was going to beat her. And I feel like she beat herself and that's not taking anything away from Juliana and you know, all the, 
the stuff came out afterwards, and the rematch showed she's one of the greatest female fighters of all time. What she did Absolutely. to Ronda, what she did to Cyborg, Holly Holm, like she beat everybody who had ever held a belt. And, and you know, going into that to that fight, you know, I keep mentioning is that she's never she's not she to me is a true champion because she's not the type to to blame outside factors on why her performance what it wasn't what it needed to be to retain the belt when she lost to Pena. But the reality is, is she'd had COVID and wasn't fully recovered when she got sick again and messed up her knee. But she was the one who's like, I agreed to take this fight. I will take this fight on top of raising a, a, a newborn. That is not easy. So you take those factors. But again, she's just not the type to, to say like, hey, my cardio is is horrible right now. She just had the confidence. So I'll go out there and I'll still put a great performance. And I kept telling everybody, I'm like, look, if she is even... 10% better than she was in her last fight. She's going to dominate Pena. And everybody's like, no, Pena. I'm like, nothing against Pena, but they're not on the same level. Amanda Nunez is a whole different beast, a whole different skill set, drive, everything. And then you saw it when she fought Pena. I wish I'd bet on the fight because I told everybody exactly what was going to happen and nobody wanted to believe me. <laughs> Isn't that how it always works? Like the times yeah. you predict the fights perfectly, it happens that way. And you're like, damn it. <laughs> no, I'm just honestly, I'm not a better. I always say like, oh, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to gamble and put money on stuff. And then all I can think is like, eh, but if I lose that money, like I, I like guarantees like food. Food is a guarantee. Even if food is bad, you still are full from eating it. I'd rather bet on food any day of the week than anything else. Absolutely. And I love the honesty there because I'm the same way. I'm like, I'm going to bet on this guy. It's 20 to one odds. It was the Bisping Rockhold fight. I'll never forget. I was like, I'll bet on this. And then I didn't do it because I live in Florida and we're not allowed to. <laughs> and he beats him. And I was like, I'm like, those odds were so good. <laughs> Podcast. Hi, off screen people. <laughs> my wife and my son just got home from school. <laughs> well, and I'm glad you brought that up because you brought up Amanda raising her kid and you're raising your own. Like that wasn't a thing back then. You didn't no, have a wife back then. So like <laughs> a lot has changed. So, about, I, I don't want to make you talk about the last 11 years. It's not like anybody hasn't been watching, but talk about what it's like to be, you know, a mom fighting. And, you know, like you said, Amanda being out was huge for you. You coming yeah. out was huge for everybody and having a platform that supported that. Like, how does that feel, you know, raising your kid in that world where you can, you know, be the person you, know you are? Yeah, it, it's great. Um, just thinking that there is a world now that can offer him different insights into the many walks of life that people that go on. You know, it's not just who we are as a couple and who we are as mothers, but there's also different people out there with all different backgrounds raising children. Um, and so to see that we're, especially where we live here, it's a really accepting environment where people aren't, aren't judgmental. And if they do have judgments, they just keep their mouths shut, which to me is like <laughs> the best thing it can be like, fine. Yeah. Everybody has their judgments. Everybody has their inclinations, their thoughts on life. And that's where people we're supposed to, um, but not having to put others down because of your beliefs, that, that's hard to find. And we're in an environment where we can do that. And more and more people are speaking out on who they represent. And we're in an environment now to do that. But if you told me 11 years ago that I was going to have a, a six-year-old son and I was going to be married, I told you you're out of your mind that there is no way that I was going to have a kid. Um, so it's definitely a different role I live in, especially if you told me that I would have a boy 
and he would be sexist and believe that women are, are not as strong as men, then <laughs> I would definitely tell you. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> laughing at that. I, I, I don't know what. <laughs> This is the kid who got his fourth stride on his white belt because he does gi jitsu. I still do no gi. Uh, so he does gi jitsu and he's like, hey, look, I'm better than you now. I have a black belt to your fourth kid. Your mom will blast W through the roof and not me, but my wife. She's a wrestler. Like, that's not. No, <laughs> you're wrong. Meanwhile, not to talk down his father, but it's like of all of us, the, the physically weakest one is not the two women and raising you. It's it's the guy. <laughs> you got things wrong, but he sees things differently. And to, when you say like kids are born with their own personality, there are so many things where you look and we're like, you didn't learn that from us. How did you come up with this opinion? And mm. truly, they're born with their own personalities. You can't choose so many things in this world. And, and he proved it to me. And that's something that Again, if you told me years ago that that would happen, I'm like, no, it's definitely the environment. It's things that they learn. No, not always. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> not at all in that situation. And so much has happened. You know, we talk about, you know, the timing of everything and going back and I'm reading through these questions and I'm seeing like, <laughs> I remember very vividly sitting outside of Starbucks, phone in one hand, recorder in the other, because I didn't want the table to get bumped. <laughs> and we were talking and I was so nervous and you're like I wish we could do this in person because it would be so much more fun and I was like no I would <laughs> you know all that time ago you talked about how women's divisions needed more depth you know we only had 35 and 45 and we talked about how important 115 and another weight class what is it 125 how important that would be to females <laughs> how happy are you that you've been able to adapt to that weight class and now, you know, reign over it, you know, in the division. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy and really surprised with it. Um, just because I've been doing it now for almost 13 years. And if you told me that in the latter of my careers, when I finally start cutting weight and, and go down a smaller weight class, I wouldn't have thought it would be now. You know, I thought that that's, that's a, a beginning of your career thing is when you go lighter in classes and then as you get older you go up in a weight class you build more muscle you understand things so for me to like flip it of course i have to do everything backwards and i have to be like the late bloomer that's just my life and my story for everything it's just consistent across the board um but again one of those surprises if you told me that i would be succeeding in this division i would have thought no way like, maybe I'll go down and it'll be later in my fight career and I'll have a few fights in a smaller division, but I'm probably not going to succeed there. It'll probably be going back up a weight class and quite, quite contrary. Here I am at 125 and, and doing really well, especially in Bellator. Yeah. And I mean, you're, you're running through the people at Bellator and some people will always say, um, you know, different other divisions other than the UFC don't have the same caliber. I never agree with that because a fight is a fight and anything can happen. <laughs> Um, you know, looking at your last fight, the win over uh, Velasquez, like that crucifix was ugly. Like that was, and I'm like, when everybody was complaining about the stoppage, I'm going, no, if I was her, I would have been tapping. To, like that would have been like, you don't want to take that. And that doesn't take anything away from the fighters themselves, but yeah, you can only take so much damage and exactly. elbows in the face in close proximity over and over and over. It's yeah, it's not like her arms were in the way and I was elbowing through her arms. No, I was elbowing directly to her face. You know, yeah. there's uh, only so many of those you can take that you can say is safe for the fighter. Yeah. So, 
going back again. So you said the best thing about fighting was the experiences meeting people. Um, <laughs> it's meeting different trainers and coaches and seeing that, especially in the women's division, there isn't a lot of animosity. Um, I can go in there and fight with a woman and walk out of the fight and be able to talk with her and be able to hang out after. I don't feel like that's changed at all, has it? <laughs> no, I would say that for 99% of my career, that hasn't changed at all. And I think that that speaks more to me than than it does to the divisions. As I see more divisions open up, you see more animosity, the people that want to do the shit talking, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that over my career, I've established that that's just not who I am. It's not something I'm interested in doing. Whether they have a bad experience with a, a commission or an organization or a fighter, it's just not my nature. It's, it's not what I'm looking to do. I'd rather do that in the cage. Um, but I can say my last fight is probably the closest where I tried to be as cordial as possible after the fight. And there were shoulder shoulder checks, slamming stuff. It was a, a temper tantrum of sorts I've never seen. And definitely that was probably the only fight I can say where she wouldn't have had a drink with me, whether I asked or not, <laughs> let alone have that opportunity. And that's the first time that's happened to me before, which is say like winning the belt and that's when it happens. I, that I could never have seen coming either. <laughs> no. And that's that sucks to hear. It really does because... Knowing that 99% of the career, you know, you've had fights that have been super close. You've had fights that should have gone your way. And you're not the fighter out there going, oh, this sucks. I don't like it. At the end of the day, it's not the other fighter's fault that the judges saw it the way they did. Exactly. We, we've been to fights where you can hear. I'll watch it later on TV. But I've been in the actual arena. And you hear yeah. things. And then during the fight, you hear something else. And I'm like, now, wait a minute. I didn't hear that before. <laughs> you know, it, it gives you a different perspective and they're looking at it a different way. So, yeah. And I've even had fights uh, where there's, it's not like I've said this, I don't think really in any interviews or podcasts, but in one of my fights, I broke in my ankle in the fight camp. Um, and it, it was a clean break. It thankfully and unthankfully, there was a chiropractor that was there visiting one of his friends. And he's like, oh, I just think you popped your ankle out. I'll go ahead and pop it back in. What really happened is he reset the bone. Right? And so he's like, all right, give it a few minutes, but you should the redness should go away and you should feel fine. He checks it with me. He's like, you feel any better? I'm like, no. And he's like, let me see. I'm like, no, I don't want you to touch it. No, absolutely. Yeah, you, like, you, you, I'm you good. Did enough. No, you did enough. It doesn't feel good. And so I felt like it, it obviously it didn't feel good. I wrapped it up. I did a lot of things throughout the entire fight camp. Um, and I felt like it was at least stable enough to hold through for the fight. If I could just get to the fight backstage, warming up, my ankle slips on the mat and I re-break it for what was starting to heal. And now a word from our sponsor anchor who has made this entire process possible. Now back to the show. And I would say now. that hurts me now. Like, <laughs> And so, you know, like that had to, and again, after the fight, like, are you happy with performance? Like, you know, I'm not really happy with my performance. I know it wasn't what it could have been. I didn't blame, I didn't tell anybody like, hey, I actually just rebroke my ankle backstage that was starting to heal and I can barely walk on this thing. I just tried to play it off. Um, you know, I've had fights where I've been sick and I had a fever and I'm coughing up a lung and I'm trying to hide it from my coaches and the commission and everybody else. And whether I win or lose, it's, it's, they're just, there aren't excuses that are acceptable. You know, when you agree to take the fight, you have to go in there. And I've lost fights where the fighters said they didn't know how I lost it. The order of the organization said they didn't know how I lost it. Um, every single person, all the fans all come up to me and say the same thing. Like, I don't know what they saw. And I'm like, well, I don't have a boob job and my opponent did. So that's an easy one. I see where that went. And that's sad, but it's true. And that's, that's how it went down. 
Um, but again, it, you know, like <laughs> I could have when we saw each other backstage and she comes up to me and she's like, I'm so sorry. Like, I honestly, I don't know how they saw it my way. I could have told her just to get the hell away from me. I was upset and I was, but I looked at it as though, well, this is my lesson. At the end of the day, I let it go to the judges. I let them have an opportunity to judge it. And no matter what it is, they're going to, it could be that there's a design on the outfit that catches their eye and all they do is watch the performance of that person. They could have been a fan going into it. And so they have more connection to that one person and they're watching one person fight rather than both opponents. And that's common. We're human beings. There, yeah. There's no way around that. But to me, like when you give any opportunity, whether it's that you don't defend yourself, whether you let it go to decision, if there's an opportunity for anybody to be in a doubt and you're unpleased with the outcome, then just don't let there be a doubt. And I've had plenty of fights and I'm not bashing them. That's not, I, I, I learned for myself and those are my mistakes. And I've made sure like, especially going into Bellator, learning from the mistakes I made in the UFC and never wanting that to happen again and making sure going in there, like, no, this is, <laughs> this is not that life for me. I, I don't like those feelings. I don't want to go home and have to look at my six-year-old son and my wife and tell them that I didn't do everything that I could. It's just not an option anymore. And I think what you just did speaks to that too, because you could have been like, yeah. So when I was talking to <clears throat> Alexis Davis, Misha Tate backstage. You didn't say either one of those. We all know you were thinking it. Because, <laughs> um, again, I was there for the Tate fight, even if you weren't talking about that. And I remember watching it and going, Liz has got it. And hearing the decision and going, what? Yeah. Oh, okay. I guess that's what we're doing now. So, And again, it's nothing against them. And I still feel like it baffles me that we still have problems with judging. We still have issues where we have to say things like, I let it go to the judges. It's my fault. Like, you know, in part it's, it's, we're still going to continue to have issues with it. One, because like I said, we're humans. We all make mistakes. We all see something. You can talk to somebody that all five people that all watched a car crash and everybody's going to see something a little bit different, a different perspective. They're sitting, standing in a different position to see it. Right. But because we're human, we're going to make mistakes. But the other problem is, is oftentimes the MMA commissions is actually a boxing established commission. That's judging MMA. Mm -hmm. And when you don't understand MMA, you're not a fan of MMA, you've never trained MMA, you don't teach it, you don't train it, there's no possibility that you could, that's like me going into football and being like, I don't understand why you're giving a flag. Like, so what? He punched him in the face. Keep going. It's football or hockey. Like, I go into hockey, I anticipate there has to be a hockey fight. And if there isn't a hockey fight, I'm like, you both lost. You both lose. This is a draw because there wasn't a hockey fight. This is why you actually come to hockey. Is yeah. It's not to watch the, the two compete. It's that. You know, and so we there should yeah. I mean, it's like me going to, to a Taekwondo match and saying that I understand one kick from another. I don't, I have no rule. I can't go to a boxing and, a, and really say that I'm subjective in there and that I understand as a professional what the boxers are doing and judge it. I don't. And in the same way, we should not have people that do not have an understanding of the sport judging the sport. It just shouldn't be that way. I mean, you're already putting flaws in there because it's humans judging things and they're going to make mistakes. When you add in an uneducated person going in there, it's just not, it's not fair to the sport. No, and it's not. And you, you see coaches over the years and I've brought this up before uh, guys like Greg Jackson, you know, figured it out. He would just oh, yell yeah. stuff at Cerrone 
and he would make sure to yell it super loud so everybody heard it. Oh, nice kick, nice kick. And it was like, he missed. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that works. Yeah, I can say that, uh, like, if you watch Salima Lee McFarland's uh, fight this past weekend, uh, one of the things that the the commentators picked up on is they heard that every time that she did a kick, every time she did a punch, she went for a takedown and it was, hey, hey, super loud. And what they commentating on, which is absolutely on point, and I've learned over the years, too, that as a coach, that's absolutely what you do, is you want to hype up all the judges. And if they're anticipation, if they're hearing that, they're like, oh, that was big. Even if they don't understand, they hear that, they go, okay, yeah, that was a close yeah, that was, one. That was good, yeah. When like, wait, what? The punch was five feet away. It never landed. No, it wasn't a close call. But you you learn the tricks of the trade, and that's one of them. And Jackson has it down. There are a few other coaches out there that do the same thing to help sway the judges. Yeah. And, again, that's because they're humans, and it's a boxing commission. If you, yeah. go to, I, you go to a boxing fight, they're not falling for those tricks. They understand what's really going on there, but they're judging me. Well, and I'm so glad you brought up McFarlane because I saw something she said the other day. And I just wanted to stir the pot because that's <laughs> what we're supposed to do. Exactly. Um, no, I'm I'm curious about that because as teammates, she said she would love to fight you, would love for that to be her her last fight, you know, and both fight in Hawaii, which where you won the belt. So <laughs> super exciting for that. Um, you know, um, how do you feel about that? And I don't mean this in a sense of I want animosity. I don't want some, you know, some, but we're As teammates you kind of have to i think not fight each other on a non-title level but when it comes to the title kind of feel like that separates the uh the veil there yeah and and honestly since i have been in bellator i'm no longer we're no longer on the same team we're still friends like i mean her last fight camp she had to get ready she borrowed my truck for one of the the people that she flew out to be there, you know, like we've cooked things for each other. She's watched my son for me. We've watched her house and her dogs and, and trained this stuff. So we're still friends. That hasn't gone away. But as far as teammates, it's just um, that's changed. And not because me moving into Bellator, honestly, it was just me trying to advance and trying to grow in that evolution. And I didn't feel like I was capable of doing that at the gym. I didn't feel like the coaching staff could elevate me to the next level. And I felt like I was being held back because of it. And that came at, uh, at a few losses in my career where had I had the challenges and I stepped out and I branched out and did what so many other fighters do in cross training at different gyms, I would have been able to do what I needed to in those fights. So I branched out and I found a different gym that, that is constantly evolving and pushing me. So as far as like what could be difficult for our coaches, that's not even an option. Before, when we were talking about it, we were like, yeah, so they'll just swap every every round. They'll go to the other side to help coach and keep like, because that's the only way it seemed fair. Or they have to sit right in the, and we'll have only cut man, no coaches, and just fight each other. It was one of those two options, which and they're like, that just sounds crazy. We can't do it. Like, well, it's the only way it's fair. Yeah, it's the only and, way it's fair. Cause... Yeah. So as far as that, um, you know, that really makes it easy and kind of eliminates... Uh, a lot of possibilities as far as making any difficulties for our teams and for our, our fight staff. Um, what it really comes down to after that is just her working way back up for the belt. My my biggest thing, and I've said it when I was in, in the UFC and now in, in Bellator, is things should be done correctly and should be done fairly. And just like for me, for Juliana to fight for a rematch, to me, she needs to be back in the whim column. And it's that simple. She wins a fight against the number number two ranked right now, absolutely deserves a rematch. Um, but until that's you work your way back up the ranks and you defeat number three and you defeat number two, you have no right in my mind to fight number one. That's just how it should be. Um, and so 
like for me right now, I think that the person that should be next to fight me should be Kane Watanabe for a rematch. I think that I caught her early on. And one thing she showed in fighting Denise is she got caught early on, but she was able to recover. And Denise tried to put it on her, but she learned the lessons from my fight. So I certainly feel like there's been growth on her part. And she displayed just how good she did against Denise in, in finishing her, which I never saw coming. Mm -hmm. I thought for sure, once I saw her get caught, I'm like, it's over. The fight's over. Denise is going to finish her. Denise is heavy-handed, fast, kicks like a mule. There's no way. And then I saw her go down. I'm like, okay, that was a surprise. Didn't see that one coming. Um, so my mind, it should be Kana next. And then for Alima, she's got to work her way back up the ranks. But if she can work her back up the ranks and fight, absolutely. Let's do it in Hawaii too. Cause one Hawaii is her hometown. I have my connection. If we can make it Japan, that would be the second thing. It either have to be in Hawaii or Japan for me. Now, would what I would love is to fight Kana in Japan because we can both kind of bring, um, roots there. I don't know the possibility that the fights would ever be in Okinawa. That would be the ideal for me is to go home. I get to fight back home and then afterwards get to stay like a week or two because I haven't been home since 2006. So that would be ideal. Yeah. Right. So if there was something we could do where either we fight, like for me, if I fight in Hawaii, that's kind of bringing it to a Lima, which if I'm still the champion at that time, it shouldn't be that way. It should be Japan. But I love Hawaii. Every time I've been there, it feels, it feels like the American version of home for me. And so that's cool for me. I'm, I'm, I'm game with that. Um, but Japan is definitely the bucket list one. So if we could be there even better, but I'm on a podcast. <laughs> I always love that. That's the best part of podcasts where somebody just walks in. What are you doing? Well, he just started, he just started school, uh, full time. He's been doing one day a week homeschooling. And so now it's like, get home. And he's just like, Oh, I left my toys right there on the table. And I thought, I'm like, I'll come in the backyard. Everything will be quiet. It doesn't work out that way. <laughs> Listen, it's not real. If somebody doesn't interrupt you, if we don't lose connection, if like difficulty I, starting it. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. that's, that's, that's every time. And it, it's so funny because I've never had that problem. Huh, but it's like okay. every like five episodes, StreamYard's like, you know what? Not today. Thank Not you. Today. Yeah. And I almost lost. I wouldn't say I lost yours, but I almost lost one of the ones I did a while back. And it was with somebody I wasn't sure I was ever going to get to talk to again. So I was oh, like, man, that's rough. Please. I'm like, please don't. And we spent two days, two days of trial and error. Please. And we finally got it working. And I was like, oh. And, you know, there's some fighters where I know whether it's schedule printing, whatever the circumstance happens to be, they're like a one and done. They're like, you get one chance. If this doesn't work. Sorry. That's it. <laughs> Good luck. Get back on the on the back of the list and try to work your way. <laughs> at least like I'll keep rescheduling until we can get it done. Well, and I love that you just said that because you, you say the same thing about fighting. Like I'm getting tired of immediate rematches. I really am because it puts the division in this weird you know, limbo where, you know, look back in the heavyweight division of the UFC a couple of years back. I say a couple of years. We're again, we're talking 10 years, yeah. but it was like the same three guys fighting for the title over and over. Exactly. And over. You have the same women fighting for the title. As far as like women's 145 in the UFC, I think that should be kind of gone. I think they're only yeah. keeping it around. So Amanda can still continue to defend yeah. and not have to cut as much weight when she doesn't want to. Yeah. I mean, not a bad well, way. To look at it. The reality too is she's done 
what very few have in the UFC and being able to, at least for females, being yeah. able to be a, a dual champion, right? Um, and then, so if you see her, the possibility for cutting down to 125, I, I think Amanda's a lot more big bone than we give her credit for. And I do not think that she could get down to 125. No. <laughs> so for that her to, fun, to keep though. that. Yeah, yeah, right. Three. So if she can keep that <laughs> dual dual championship, you know, she has to keep that one forty five division. And I think with all the success that they saw with Cyborg and her ability to build the depth for that division and talent, I think they're hoping that it'll continue instead of people being like, Ah, I'll go down. I'll, I'll move to one thirty five or yeah. or go to PFL and do one fifty five for those that don't really want to cut. Yep. And yeah, and anybody who actually wants to fight Kayla Harrison, but that's <laughs> Listen, it's fun. It's it's almost not fun to watch anymore. And I don't say that as disrespect, but it's like you just go in and it was like Anderson Silva in his heyday. You went, well, yeah. I know he's going to win. I just don't know, you know, how when it's, it's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and when they make it out of the first round, you're like, oh, my God, what 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 happened? Like, what's yeah. you know, it's still a fight. But it's like with Shevchenko. I think a lot of people are like, she's going to knock her out in the first round. I'm like, uh, no, she kind of likes to play with her food a little bit. She's going to pick them apart. She's going to program it into the machine that she is and see every default and go, no. And the third, like, I've heard her coaches go like, okay, it's done. Finish it. And her like, cool. All right. Head kick. You've, you've been dropping your right hand this whole time. Here's the head kick. Or you've been elevating it super high. Here's the body kick. Um, you know, so I, you know, I wonder if Kayla will change that just in that she'll start being like, let me play with it a little bit before I actually go in for that kill. Yeah, I think that would be much better. I think it would be much better for a PFL. I think it'd be better for her career. But at the same time, she's made millions of dollars. Yep. You know, I, at that point, I guess she could do whatever she wants. <laughs> but I like that. And I mean, you brought up another point. You heard her coaches did you hear that during the fight or was that like when you're watching other fights when i'm watching other fights okay i was gonna say oh man <laughs> no no i'm i'm pretty good at uh in fights listening to my coaching staff and their coaching staff uh but it, particularly because whatever it is it hurts my ego and gets me all riled up when i hear the other coaches be like you heard her with that i'm like no they didn't no how dare you uh like i can remember somebody like oh you got her with the job i'm like her jab's here, and I parried it. How could she? Oh, okay. And then, like, putting my hands down, like, go ahead. Hit me with your jab. My coach is being like, no, Liz. No, no, no. As Don't Alima do that. It, no. Yeah. As Alima and, and my my old uh, coaches say, it's called diking up. And Alima, I can remember recording me one time being like, dike down. Dike down. Like, you yeah, okay. And I'd, like, put the hands back up and be like, okay. Ego down. Because I was just, like, put my hands down. Like, okay. You think the jab touched me? Go ahead. Hit me with your jab now. I'm like, she's like, no. I'm like, all right, fine. <laughs> Oh yeah. As your coach, you yeah, I'd be pissed. <laughs> yeah. But it's Fuck just it's, back up. Yeah, it's just me listening to the other other team. And two, like I'll listen, we're like, okay, go ahead and dig that underhook. And I'm like, nope, gonna defend it. Uh, I listen to both sides to try and like shut down the opponent. Which is difficult only like I don't speak Portuguese. So having a, a Brazilian somebody from Portugal or having somebody from Brazil. Uh, is, is a little bit difficult. My Spanish takes a little bit longer to translate. Japanese, like I heard all of Wantanabe stuff, and I was like, oh, I got this. Cool. This is an easy one. Uh, listen, all you fighters out there, listen. Start <laughs> learning other languages. Yes. It may help you. It may, unless you're too busy trying to translate, and you're, you're like, uh, ah, too late. <laughs> <laughs> too late. In the head. 
it's it's so amazing because I've you know going through everything and looking through all this old stuff. You've fought sixteen times since the last time we talked. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Two fights in Invicta, and then I'm gonna try and go the right way. And then we've got that one. I can never do this right ever. Um, and most people don't think about the fact that you walked out first. Yeah. Like you were the first one. Two years prior to that, we were talking about probably not going to happen. Probably, you know, never going to happen. Eh, <laughs> and the next thing you know, you're sitting across the cage from her. Fast forward to UFC 205. You're the first one in the cage for women in New York with UFC in New Like, how does that feel being part of history twice over? Because you really were, and people don't give you the credit I feel like you deserve in that situation. Yeah, it's crazy um, because I was joking about it the other day, just telling my wife because she was an amateur MMA fighter before her son. Um, and since then, she's just concentrated on raising him. But she got into MMA. She'd see my fight. She's like, I can beat her. Talking about me. Right. So seeing me in a bar was a little bit tipsy, decided like she could beat me up. Happen chance shows up at my gym to decide to try and, and learn to fight and eventually beat beat me up. Uh <laughs> go figure. So don't don't get it wrong, she hits like a Mack truck. So oh, I believe it. <laughs> she's behind you right now. She's behind the camera. Yeah, she's right waiting. Now. <laughs> she's waiting. Listen, I'm like going, yeah, I said it. Don't worry, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I was just telling her, like, she never watched any of the tough seasons until our friend Juliana Miller was on there. Mm -hmm. She um, watches fights, and I'm like, wow, it's so crazy. You know, I came up watching him to see him still fighting. She's like, I have no idea who this fighter is. Look, I, I'm really bad about following current MMA, but I at least know the history of where we came from. She has no clue about any of it. She saw my fight and decided she was going to start fighting MMA. That was, that was it. One and done. And I mean, okay. I guess it worked out for you, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but so uh, when I tell her, I'm like, you know, it's really crazy because um, I got to be the first. I was the first ever women's MMA fight. I was in the first one in the cage. I fought on the first ever Invicta. I fought on the first ever MSG card for the UFC and the first fight of the night, first win of the night. I was the first fights to ever happen in Uruguay. Uh, first ones ever in Prague. Uh, and this just like ends up being like first to first after first. And I started realizing and like I went through the list and, like when fights, I'm like, there's a lot of first on here. Maybe I should change my name from the gorilla to history maker or the history yeah. achiever or something like that. Um, and it's like, I, you know, like trying to tell her, cause I was telling my son and just explaining, he's getting at the age where he can better understand things. Mm -hmm. And he asked himself and I was like, wow, this is kind of crazy telling you guys this. So like, these have all been historical markers and, Hey, by the way, bud, in a few years, I'm probably going to show up in your textbook. Just a heads up and a warning. Maybe weird for you and your friends. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> just a position I never, I never would have thought entering into MMA that I would be any of those people, and I would have fulfilled any of those roles. I mean, entering into it, I had the dream of like, yeah, if I could just, if I, I could fight Chris Cyborg because I thought I was a 145er to begin with, is now 125er. Um, and then I was like, yeah, of course the dream was to to be to fight in the UFC, but I wasn't saying that and voicing that out loud. I didn't certainly think that was going to happen um, no. or any of the no. other markers that I made happen. And so it's crazy that all of those things came into fruition and I'm where I am today. And I, I really wish they, they still did magazines because I just want to bring something up. Um, 
<laughs> so if you could see this tiny little. This was the first time I had been published with an actual article. Nice. And <sighs> I think I have that one. So going back, and it's so funny going through this, and I just want to point out to anybody who has this copy, I didn't write this did you know because it's wrong. It says you fought at welterweight. I'm like, I didn't yeah. know. I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was a long time ago, but MMA has progressed so much further in the right direction. Shannon Knapp really took the reins on that one. And if anybody really sees the people that have come out of Invicta, yourself, Amanda Nunez, Rose yep. Nabiunas, like all these people, champion, champion, champion. And it's mm -hmm. really cool to say champion next to your name. I'm not going to lie. Because <laughs> I know you've put in the work. You've yeah. literally never given up. You're still as jovial as before. And so many fighters, you'll see them change. Yeah. You, know, you went from Invicta to the UFC. You had 10 fights in the UFC. Again, 2011, tell, tell Liz you're going to have 10 fights in the UFC. Yeah, no. <laughs> not happening. And then going to Bellator, you know, where, like we were talking about before, people say that the competition changes, but I think it's more about the promotion. There are fighters in there. It, it's, it's a fight. Anything could happen at any time. Absolutely. And I think having you at the top and saying, listen, she doesn't deserve an immediate rematch, and it's nothing personal. Yeah. But fights need to be this way. When I look at rankings and I see number six fights number seven, perfect. Number four fights number five, perfect. Number four fights unranked guy. Now, now wait a minute. Why, why are we... Uh, exactly, yeah. And the same thing. So do you feel like that's ever something that's going to change? Where it's going to move to that? Or if the champions are really going to have any say in that? Or do you think it's just going to be the same? Um, I mean, from from conversations that I've had with some some champions in different organizations and all of them is the champions do have say in the fights. I don't know how I'm different that way, <laughs> but uh, you know, I certainly hope that the other champions that are out there aren't looking for easy fights and they're not looking to just stay at the top and just keep collecting a paycheck, but they're looking to challenge themselves and face the best and truly be challenged each fight that they have. But I don't think that's true for every champion. You know, some of them work their way up there and they're like, good, now I get to have the, the pick me easy fights or they, you know, whatever the circumstance happens to be. Um, you know, one thing that I respect a lot about Alima, she did so much work to, she built the depth of the flyweight division in Bellator. 100%. 100%. I mean, before that, I can remember when there were women in, in Bellator and then it went away for a little bit. Yep. And then she she brought the flyweight division back and there was talks of tournaments and everything. And she did so such a good job with helping promote the organization, with voicing who she is a person, what she stands for, what her culture is, and advocating for her culture, advocating for women's rights, for all those things that she did such a great job as a champion that it helped elevate that division. And I honestly feel like it's helped build up the rest of them as well. Like they're almost riding in the coattails of her and they need, you know, um, so I think that certainly helped it. And then I hope that I can now as a champion to show like, let's do things as ethically as possible. Um, not to say that she didn't, but I want to do things as fairly as possible. And I said when I got into Bellator that I didn't, because people are like, do you think you deserve a, a contention right away? I'm like, no, I'm ranked in the UFC, but there are other women and other men that are fighting in Bellator that were also ranked in the UFC that 
aren't just automatically cool. You were number two in the UFC. Now you're number two here. That's not how that yeah. works. It's a different organization. I mean, that different would be nice, sets. but <laughs> right, yeah. And I, I told Bellator and I told everybody and I meant it. And I said, like, I'll work my way up through the ranks. I don't expect you guys to just give me the belt, nor do I expect for you guys to give me the easiest fight possible right. either. I expect myself to have to work through the ranks and that's exactly what I did. And I feel like anybody that wants to be champion has to do the same thing. Anybody that wants to have contention for the belt needs to work their way up the ranks. And I hope that every champion does that because it makes the organization more respectable. It makes people think that they're honest for who they are. And it's not like, Oh, well you have a million Instagram followers and you have an only fans. So guess what? It's going to help us. If you show skin, you get a title fight. That, that shouldn't be how it is. It shouldn't be, what your following is on social media it should be what your skill set is in fighting and what you bring to the game. Absolutely. And that wasn't taking shots at anybody specifically <laughs> <laughs> because you, we are seeing a lot of that, a lot more of that. And then realistically, bare knuckle has an only fans logo, like on the, it's on the, like <laughs> the mat, like it's big, it's there. Um, you know, jumping to that, you know, you've seen a lot of fighters, and I'm, we're, we're going to bring up Paige because her fight got postponed. She said she didn't pull out. Teresa said she didn't pull out. So I'm like, it's kind of weird that you would pull the fight a couple days before when people probably flew to London and wanted to do all that. Yeah. Um, but Paige has not been able to find any success. Do you think it was a bad idea for her to go to Bare Knuckle, or do you think she was looking for a payday? And I know I'm kind of stirring that pot, but you're, yeah. you're right. There's some things where you feel like the focus has left fighting and it's pushing towards the, you know, wrestling side of it where it's just entertainment. Yeah. And I think to some degrees, um, in all honesty, it is needed. You know, like one thing that Rhonda did really well is whether that's who she was or not, is she was really good at trash talking, making hype and publicity, it being able to, and same thing with the Lima, like she goes to, she's a few days out from her fight and there she is, flying out to go support Bellator and go commentate and go coach people and go be at the venues and go do all these things. Like her life does not stop just because she has a fight online. Right. Yeah. And, and she um, is so good at, I just feel like Alima is a good example of how to do it correctly. Yeah. Right. Um, but there, there are fighters that want to skip the work and they just want to, and I know fighters, I've, <clears throat> I've talked to people. They're like, I want to get into fighting because I want to be famous and I want to have all these sponsors give me free stuff. Okay. You, you do realize you get hit all over your body as part of the fight game. There has to be a skill that supports in that. Including like, the face. Just including the face, yeah. Um, I think just a, a lot of people just think it's going to be shortcuts to get there and not necessarily put in the work. <laughs> and, you know, and then you get a, a performance where they fight a fighter that's like, no. No, no, I'm a skilled fighter. I did the work. You're going to get put out bad. And um, I don't think that Paige moving to bare knuckle is ne necessarily a bad thing. Just because, I mean, for her, I she's an attractive person. To, in my mind, I know it's messed up to say, but like, let the unattractive fighters go to bare knuckle. Because if you don't have anything else to lose, but you can still do it. Because there's, I, I've, I've cornered people for bare knuckle. And there's not, there, even a winning person comes out with broken hands that, the insurance does not cover the insurance does not help him fix their hands. I, I cornered a fighter where she destroyed her hand to the state, still swollen and sw still numb. And that was years ago. They didn't do anything for her to fix that. I've seen fighters where, yeah, they they won, but they got one punch to the face and broke their orbitals. Like they, you don't come out of bare knuckle succeeding 
even if you do a one punch knockout, you busted your hand doing that. There, there's yeah. nobody winning in this equation and the insurance isn't there to help take care of their fighters. What bare knuckle needs to do is understand and in investing in taking care of their fighters, especially because when you have somebody like Paige and Zant that people are attracted to and they want to see where people want to hear the storyline, they want to see her only fans. They, they want to see the attractiveness that she has to offer. Then you need to protect that attractiveness and not compromise that if that's what you want to build on. We have to be smart about that. If And there has to be the paydays. And I don't know what her paydays are for, for Bare Knuckle. I know that she's done... Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, we can speak to... That one thing I noticed with, with Bellator is they pay their fighters based on their rankings. And one of the things that Bellator wants to do is not take back and keep all the paychecks. Is they want to, if the, the show did great... They're giving back to the fighters to supplement them for that and to make sure that they're getting good money to make up for it. So if you're a number four ranked fighter, you're getting paid great. You can be in other organizations and be a number four fighter, still getting paid crap, still working a full-time job. Or you can be a number 12 fighter and not be great, but be super attractive, have tons of followers, and all of a sudden you're getting paid a lot more on bigger paychecks. But and I see both sides of it. You know, yeah. I see the side where if you have to know the fighter. I mean, if you're walking down the street and, and somebody doesn't know who you are, you could be number whatever in the world, but if they don't know who you are and they're not going to tune into your fight because they don't know who you are, it doesn't matter the performance that you put on. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're not invested, it's not, it's more for us. And I, I increasingly see that now and I have over the years is it is we're not just fighters. In the beginning, I felt like we could just be fighters. Their yeah. storyline and who we were, none of that mattered. Just go out there and put on the fight. That's not the MMA world anymore. Social media has eradicated that possibility. Yeah. They want to know who we are. They want to be connected. They want to invest in their fighter, not only for the skill set that they offer, but because they have connected with them as people. There's something, whether they want to lose, they want them to lose or they want them to win. You, you want to, to either play the good guy or the bad guy. And more often than not, the bad guy gets a better paychecks because people want to see them lose and they tune in for that. Fight. Yeah. And I'll just say McNugget because I don't like giving him the actual name, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. He's one yes. of those people where it's like he was a skill fighter. I'm not taking anything away from that, but he did something that they needed. They needed somebody to be brash. They needed to be that. I I still have my own opinions that are not timely taken to about the whole uh, Dolly incident with the bus, but that is a whole nother thing. Yeah. Um, I don't believe that for a second, but okay. That's my conspiracy theorist moment. <laughs> um, but you're right. It's it's a matter of, you know, are you going to bring the fans? Are you going to put, you know, asses in seats? The, the oldest saying they have. Or are you going to do this the right way? And I, I like what you said about Bellator paying, you know, the fighters accordingly. Yep. Because I feel like a lot, like you said, if people don't want to put in the work, they're like, well, I'm only getting this much. And I, it's really hard for a fighter to get paid. 10, 10 to show, you know, 10 to show, 10 to win and have a full-time job. But then you're seeing people where they have the job, you know, it takes a while to get there. So I feel like we've come a long way and I'm sure, you know, more than anybody, what it was like to, you know, in the beginning, because I can't imagine the paydays were yeah, <laughs> more than, more than a full-time job. And, you know, I can remember uh, like one of my fights, I came back and I'd been saving for six years to buy a new truck. Mm-hmm. Um, and I traded in my car and I was able to finally to get a, get a truck. And I was like, wow, that must've been a big payday. Like I got paid 10 and 10. Um, half of that went to taxes. Yep. I had to pay 20% to my management. 
I had to then also pay for, you know, all the fight equipment. If you do the work for three months of training, eight hours a day, I got paid $4 an hour. What, what part of payday do you guys think? Like, yeah. And that's what people miss out on is they're not taking into account. We still have to pay taxes. We have to pay our management team. Yeah. We have to. Um, and then each commission, whatever state we, we go in, they take a percentage that we also have to pay to that state. So, okay, cool. You got paid $50,000. Cut that in half. And then you have to think, break that down for a, th a three-month fight camp of a full-time job. That's yeah. not real money. If somebody said like, hey, I want you up front to put in seven days a week, eight hours a day, also commuting to all these sessions, yeah. pay for all your own gear, but we'll pay you at the end of it $50,000 to be like, the hell with you. No, no way. Nobody That's not enough money. Nobody, Nobody would, would yeah. go to their job for three months and be like, we're going to pay you at the end of the three months. It's going to be a lot. But we're not going to tell you about all the other stuff. And that's that's still something that's a problem because I feel like, you know, I know I didn't watch the whole video, so I'm not going to comment on it about Dana talking about fighters are getting paid what they're worth. And I don't yeah. believe that. And I, I'll watch the rest of it. If there's anything in there that contradicts what I just said, I'll, I'll take it back. But I don't think I have to because it's 20 years later and we're still having talks about fighter pay. We're having unionizing. <laughs> We're having Luke Rockhold, Ninganu, like going off on people about fighter pay. And I'm like, that's not a good look. It's really not a good look. Why doesn't somebody do something about it? But at the end of the day, they're right. Boxers get paid millions. And we all know there's some shady stuff going on in the background. But again, it might be millions. But then they're, like you said, they're taxed, management, commission, gear, whatever it is it doesn't come out to as much as we really think. So a payday is one thing. And for fighters, you're at like a 10th of that. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not and you look at the, the MMA and I mean, I can remember a boxer. I was already established in fighting. I was ranked in the top 10. I'd been doing it a few years. He was entering into his first pro boxing bout after having an amateur career. And he was already getting paid entry into his pro boxing debut more than I was being number ranked, I don't know, I think I was number four at the time and been in the game for six years prior to that. And I just, when he told me, I was like, he's like, yeah, I'm not really happy with this. This is all we're paying me. They're like, that's, what do you mean that's all they're paying you? You and I are getting paid the same thing. And I've been doing this significantly longer than you have. You're not even ranked. Like, this is insane. Um, so, yeah, but at the same time, like, I love MMA. So, I, I obviously, I haven't been in this sport as long as I have just looking for the paydays, right? Because yeah. I'd be in the wrong sport. I would have switched over to boxing. So for some people, for when I hear bare knuckle boxing, which my wife vetoed immediately, um, <laughs> but okay. boxing, okay. You know? I'll catch you real quick. <laughs> Without her veto, would you want to do it? No, not anymore. Okay. Uh, so during COVID, um, I had was no longer in the UFC. I got signed to Bellator and Bellator was like, hey, we don't know when we're going to open back up and, and start having fights again. And I was like, okay, well, for one, I get antsy and I lose my mind not fighting. Like, I need to fight. Yeah. Like, this whole underground training that's going on because of COVID and in California, not fun, not enjoying that, but at least I still get to train. Like, that's fine. It's it's minimalist. But I look forward to fighting. That's what I love to do. Um, and then, too, like, as much as it's not what pays my bill, it certainly helps supplement them. And yeah. when I was owning and operating a gym and I can no longer work and open my gym anymore during COVID. 
and I don't have fights. I'm like, I, I'm not making any money. There's no money. There's no money streaming in. There's no money whatsoever. I need to do something. And I saw that bare knuckle boxing was out there. I was like, I think I'm going to take a bare knuckle boxing bout. She's like, the hell you are. No, I don't care if they're paying you $50,000. You're not doing bare knuckle boxing. I'm like, it's $50,000. Like if it's $50,000, she's like, no, mm -mm, absolutely mm -hmm. not. And I think that's, that's funny because the, the underground training regimen, I think is the, the best part you brought up because I'm in Florida and it was like, it got bad here too, but we were still training and training in yeah. the gi while wearing a mask. Was not fun. No. And it doesn't <laughs> work because as soon as somebody pushes up on your face, the mask goes flying and we were like, yeah, whatever. Like we had no or idea. The, or the sweat. I felt like I was getting waterboarded with my mask. We had all the doors closed. We had cardboard covering up the windows so nobody knew. And we're sparring because some people were different organizations and potentially had fights coming up. So we're still sparring. But with face masks on, in case the police happen to come in, and we're like, <laughs> yeah. I'm drowning in my sweat, and my yeah. mask is going up my nose and covering my mouth, and I'm dying a little bit here. <laughs> yep. not you go to pull the gi across the face, and it takes oh. the mask, and you have to stop, and you're like, come here. Okay. I, I thought I was a genius, because I bought one that had plastic air holes. <laughs> You know what happens when plastic air holes get pushed into your face? I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, you talk about people see you fight and they say, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go do that." They just think it's, you know, it's something like that. And for me, I started watching MMA in like 2008, so I was way late to the game. And I did all, <laughs> the, you know, all the research because I, I fell in love with it, and I remember. <clears throat> watching fights on the ground and i go get up get up and i'm trying to figure out I'm like why isn't this working so i went in and i trained a little bit and i got put in those same positions and i went oh that's why that's yeah, why it's so, a light bulb moment yeah yeah <clears throat> so in 2019 i finally got to a place where i'm like you know what i've got a i've got a good job now i can go to the gym they're not going to be upset if i show up with a black eye i mean i i don't know if they will but <laughs> um, and I started training, so I've got two stripes on my blue belt. I'm going to keep talking nice. about Congratulations. But for me, being put in those positions, I go, okay, that, that's that's why they're not getting up, dummy. <laughs> yeah, and then add strikes to that is a whole different game. Oh, no. I, uh, we, we've talked about this on the show, and since you've never been privy to this story, we're going to talk about it. <laughs> I've thrown two punches in my life. <laughs> One missed. The second one, as soon as it, it got here, it literally opened before it hit him. And I was in like high school and I just looked at him and I was like, I looked at my hand and I said, well, I guess you're not worth it. And I sat back down like a psychopath. <laughs> um, and I looked back on that and I was like, anybody who saw that was probably like, what just happened? And I'm sitting there going, oh, I'm so glad I didn't have to fight because I don't know what would have happened after the first punch. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people look at MMA, oh, it's so violent, it's so this, but it's really become a lot more technical over the years. It's not cool. wild and crazy unless you're Michelle Pereira and you do backflips in the middle of your fight because, you know, why not? Why um, not? <laughs> I'm going to pull up, we're going to pull up the, the 11 years ago talk again. Um, <laughs> what is the worst thing about fighting? And you had said, 
the worst thing is some of the stress that was involved with the beginning aspects of getting involved in the sport. I felt like I seemed like I was focusing more of my attention and energy into finding sponsors and trying to get the money together just to get a fight and yeah. worrying about that. The stress involved is the worst, even having to worry about photo shoots. Here I am trying to reassure my mom that everything is okay. Don't worry about me and having to put down the phone and go do a photo shoot. I'd rather just fight and not to have to worry about television and pictures. That is perfect for what you said at the beginning where you're like, I'm supposed to be on this media tour. And, and like I said, you know, over the years, I understand the importance of doing those things and having to do the media tours, but I, I still stand by that. I'd much rather, I'm a fighter. I'd much rather just go in. Like when we had the COVID days where we just walked in, we fought and we left. It was amazing. I loved it. I know for so many people, it destroyed their fight game. They did not know that everything they were was invested into the crowd, into all the hype going into it, all the media tour and stuff that like they were so used to that process and enjoyed it that they needed that for the fight. And for me, like, no, I just want to go fight. If I can go in there, I'm there 30 minutes before I'm supposed to fight and then just leave. I don't have to do any extra stuff. Yes. Yeah. Please, all day long. And the, the little COVID area of fighting, I was definitely like, this is great. This is the life. I hope this continues. This is perfect. I don't enjoy the aspect where I can't stay and, and get to like visit the areas I get to see because of the COVID restrictions. But everything else, amazing. Because all I did, like COVID, I just sat in my room. I watched TV. I read books. I just relaxed. I stretched. I did little in-room workouts. It was great. I didn't have to see anybody. It was amazing. <laughs> So what you're saying is you haven't changed at all. <laughs> exactly. Pretty much. <laughs> and I think that speaks to why your career has lasted as long as it has, because, you know, I'm going to bring up, you know, 38 and you're looking better than you did five years ago. You're looking better than you did. Do you attribute that to the change in um, family life? Is it the change and finding the weight class that was right for you? Or has it just been years of culminating all this stuff to finally like find exactly what's working for you and what's working well? And your cat really just wants to be with you so bad. Don't get it wrong. He's just uh, a little horror when it comes to attention. Anybody and everybody. My wife apparently closed the door. So he's like, I'll stay out here with you. You're, you're available. It's fine. Yeah, you're, you're um, right here with me. Yeah. Uh, you know, I contribute it to all those factors. Um, I do think that 125 in so many ways is a great weight class for me. And there's some sick, twisted part of my brain that feels like it's not a real fight if I don't actually cut weight for it. So cutting to 125 makes sense, which it doesn't. Um, I think having having a wife that supports it and when I come home, and I'm like, man, I'm tired. I don't feel like doing this on. I don't feel like filling up the ice bath and, and jumping in um, and doing my nighttime cardio. She's like, go there's no reason for you to sit down just go I'm like bah, damn it i have no choice you know like oh okay. <laughs> you know and then answering to my son like he doesn't care about fighting at all we try to get him to watch my fights and he's like man whatever i don't mind but he's like you better not lose this fight <laughs> he doesn't care if i win like eh, whatever that's that but, you better not lose. but you better not lose yeah. don't you lose yeah um and then I think too, it's, it's prioritizing myself. I think in the beginning of my fight career, I didn't prioritize myself. I was fighting was it, in all honesty, it didn't even supplement my income. It, some of my fights in the beginning, I paid to fight. 
That's how much it cost me to do my medicals. That's how much it cost me to pay for my gear, travel to, to training practices, all that. So for me in the beginning, it really, it was stressful because every, every time is like, I don't know if I'm going to have the paycheck this time to, to pay for rent. I don't know how I'm going to be able to afford gas. Like I'm going to have to ride my bicycle to the gym and it's only freeways. So this is going to be really interesting, you know? <laughs> um, and then I finally got to a point where at least fighting was supplementing my income and it, it was additional and it, it helped pay for other bills and help contribute. And I wasn't stressing about making bills, but I, I could not give up my full-time job. That wasn't even an option. You know, uh, my full-time job is what paid for my health insurance and, and it paid for, for some of my bills, but I still, I'm in San Diego. So rent's ridiculously expensive, you know? Um, and so it, you know, fighting became a point where at least things started to teeter and I started to go from where I wasn't paying to fight and that wasn't costing me money to fight. Mm -hmm. It was, so it went from a point where I paid for fight, it cost me money. I was literally out of my pocket, losing money every fight. And then it came to a point where I, I wasn't making money. I was breaking even. And then to a point where, okay, I'm supplementing. I'm, I'm making a little bit of money. I've made a few hundred dollars. Oh, we finally made a few thousand dollars, but it wasn't what I could rely on to live on. Um, and then I started to understand that all the, the prioritizing, trying to, to have a job and to do all these things and just be in the fight came was coming at the cost of my body. And I'm like, I love this sport. And if I want to continue in it, I have to prioritize taking care of my body because whether I'm fighting or not, what's going to be with me when the lights go off, what's going to be with me 10 years, 20, however it happens to be down the road is going to be my body. And if yeah. I don't do everything necessary to take care of it and to keep it as healthy as possible, uh, 10, 20, 30 is really going to hurt down the road yeah. <laughs> and it's going to cost it more surgeries. So I started doing m massage and, and started to understand the different types of massage that you actually need. Cause I was just going to like the cheapest ones you could get. I'm like, I don't understand why people say get massages. All I do is pass out and I come out of it and all the aches and pains I have are still there. Nothing's yeah, changed. They're, they're just, they feel a little different. They feel like yeah. they've shifted now. <laughs> not, not even that. That was a stretch. Oh. And oh, then I finally found a massage, a massage therapist that made me almost want to tap out and cry on the table. And I was just trying to like, if I can just make it through this session and survive, I'll be alive at the end of this. And then I got off the table and I was like, hey, that doesn't hurt. I can move my neck and move my arms. This is amazing. So understanding, like doing research into myself, that was really what changes before... I didn't prioritize having the time to invest in myself. And then I started to realize like my coaches, as much as they want to be there for me and they want to support me, they're not looking into the growth of, of MMA as a sport and understanding how things are changing. They're not looking into the dietary changes and what can benefit different body types, women from men, um, all the different new health benefits that are out there that can help people stay healthier. They're not researching that. And the only person that's going to make that research and that investment is myself. So then I started making sure that, okay, every time I do a cardio session, I'm reading up on all the new things that, that um, are peer reviewed articles by MDs, PhDs that are saying like these new studies are yielding these results. And reading yeah. up all these books and, and looking up everything and realizing there's so much out there that I can do to help myself. And one of the big ones is stem cell. And I feel like in the past, because I did that a year and a half ago, I think, a year ago, um, I feel like that's been a huge one that's helped a lot. I mean, even my wife had said this last fight camp against Velasquez ended up being a nine-month fight camp. They told me like, hey, you'll potentially have a fight uh, on, on April. And then I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, hey, 
April's next month. What's going to happen? They're like, uh, next month. Okay, cool. Same camp. You have to be in prime shape. Sorry, next month. Then it just kept coming. So finally, I'm like, hey, guys, we're, we're on uh, six months now of of training as if my fight is going to be next month. You know, when's it actually going to be? Um, and then finally getting that fight. And if you had told me, like, endure a nine-month fight camp at that intensity and that level, there, there's no way. I would have been able to do it without SimSo. Um, and I've noticed just my body, just healing time, everything, and doing all the recovery stuff, that that's what's helped change everything in my game, having a support system there that that's encouraging me to, to go do this stuff and having coaches, my new coach, uh, not new coach. We've been together for a few years now since I've been in Bellator, yeah. but Charles Martinez, he's big on evolution and growth. This is a guy who like every weekend, every other weekend goes to different seminars and different forms of martial arts to bring it back to the fight team and be like, this is what I learned. See if you can use it. If you can't, that's fine. And where I tell him, like, hey, I'm going to go train with this coach you know, over here. And he's like, that's great. If there's something you take away from it, can you bring it back and show us? Up until that point, I've never met a coach where I'm like, I want to go learn this. Like, no, that's not going to work. It's stupid. Or don't waste your time. Or you're not being loyal to your team and A, B, C, and D. And that's not him at all. And I think because of that, you can see that reflection in my performance in Bellator. And then having an organization that's not overstressing me with all this media stuff combined, those two big factors three factors have really helped to keep my success where it's at this last few years. And that was, that was the best answer you could have given because you're absolutely right. Like things had to change and any coach, I feel even not being a fighter and this may piss off some coaches. If a coach isn't actively okay with the cross training aspect that it, it may be time to shift on. And that's, that's going to upset a lot of people, but you're going to see different things. You're going to, yeah feel a different way you're going to train a different way you're going to recover a different way like everything's going to change for you so yeah even just training with with the same body types i mean it came to a point where i just had basically just yeah in. he's just going to keep coming in uh i basically like had everyone's technique program in and i knew their movements and i was like okay she bobbled her head twice she's about to throw a right head kick they did this they're going to try and shoot him for a double leg and you start to memorize what your training partners are capable of and even if you have a new coach that's brought in you need different bodies that can mimic certain things because everybody's capable of different things you know like okay cool so this fight camp my main training partner is five foot four but my opponent is five ten that's not really going to work that well you know <laughs> and you have to have coaches that are willing to to work with you and allow you to grow and just want to see your success yeah. And sometimes people are just so afraid that you going to another gym means that you're going to leave them that they don't, they're not willing to, they're going to inhibit that and hold you back from it. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, I'm going to cut it because we got to <laughs> save some for the next time because there's got to be a next time and we're not going to make it, you know, 11 I mean, years. <laughs> although you're fighting in 11 years and you're still a chair, like we, we, we might need to talk about that, maybe, but maybe. <laughs> I like saving this point And this is a, not a direct shot at any big organization at all, but the the part where you get to talk about who you're thankful for, coaches, sponsors, all that stuff, because we know there's some places where you're not allowed to talk about that. So <laughs> with that being said, you know, who would you like to thank? Like, who are the people that are getting you through these camps day after, day in and day out and helping, you know, support your, your dream as champion? Yeah, I think it, it goes without saying that my wife is one of those big people advocating for me and going out there for me. And even when it comes to like sponsorship, a lot of 
a lot of it is still seeking out sponsorships on my own, you know, <laughs> it, it, I have to, who's going to ask more and want more than me myself. And my wife sometimes will be like, Oh, I'm really nervous to ask them and she'll go for me or she's there encouraging me, um, sitting next to me while I'm doing the sauna and talking to me. Uh, cause I have like the little personal one. So she'll sit right next to me and talk to me <laughs> or, you know, like watching me suffer during the ice bath. Like you're doing great. Oh, Keep I was going to say the ice bath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and she's there encouraging in the belief that I was going to be a champion and constantly telling me. So I think that she goes without questions being like the top person in my corner. Uh, second to that would be Charles Martinez. He's the coach who one just seems to know the right things to say to make me confident myself. And really that's what it, what it's been more so than somebody that adaptive wise can offer so much in my fight cam and, and trust me and, and encourage me to go out. But it's also just the confidence that he is able to exhibit to me and the phrasing of the things that he says, it helps me to be able to go out there and perform. But like I said, having that coach where watching him constantly try and grow only encourages everybody around him that they want to, they're like, yeah, I'm studying this instructional. I'm going here. And so he's, he's the second person I would say who has helped me be where I am now and is constantly in my corner as well. And then, of course, I've had, like, some great sponsors that have been here. Like, I have Blue Q Bass that have been able to hook me up with that ice bath. So instead of me going out every day and, and buying six bags of 20-pound bags of, of ice and just not doing it right, I now have a fancy, really pretty one that regulates it all right. Um, I got sheath underwear for my, my underwear sponsor. Defense Soap has been, I think, my longest sponsor for years now. And it's kept me free of getting any of the nasty, like ringworm, all the mat grum, oh, keep me God. smelling good, keep me healthy. They keep my kid healthy. My dog's healthy. We use it on everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, yeah. I think, and of course, I mean, my family, my mom's been there too, been in my corner, just supporting me in a sport that she does not believe in at all but finally has been able to kind of turn from that non-violent hippie mode to at moments telling me to go fuck the girls up and to to beat the crap out of them which is a huge jump for her so see so, oh, so wow. yeah <laughs> well and even before 11 years ago your mom was like are you okay are you okay are you sure you yeah. want to do this and uh, you know i'm glad you stuck with it i'm sure she is too like you said she's gotten past the <laughs> the hippie non-violence i think you said <laughs> Just a little, a little bit. bit she has her moments there's definitely some of the opponents where she's like i want you to hurt this girl i can't believe i'm saying this but i need you to go hurt her I'm like oh, okay mom I'm like okay mom <laughs> well on our end um i just like to give shout outs and a lot of the times if people don't know most of the sponsors i have for the show they're friends with small businesses people that i want to support uh la barba cubana for the beard when i do have a beard i actually had to cut it <laughs> Because uh, we did Comic-Con, and if you watch Stranger Things, I did Hopper, so you understand why that happened. Um, uh, we've got Tim Makes Knives on Instagram, Fatboy Jiu-Jitsu, Burtzo's Bake Shop, all places that, if you're in Florida, as far as Burtzo's Bake Shop, if you're in Orlando, definitely hit her up. Some of the best food, and if you're on vacation, not cutting weight for a fight, probably <laughs> a good idea. Uh, Perfect. <laughs> Uh, anybody can check out the Quick and Out MMA podcast merch, but on behalf of myself, Combat Press, and I'm going to give a special shout out to Ultimate MMA Magazine, which is no longer with us. It uh, <laughs> was the reason that I got the chance to talk to you. They they believed in me, um, nice. and you gave me that first chance, and I I will never forget that because I don't. I'm trying not to get all emotional in it, but really, I remember that call, and I will never forget. 
something you said to me. You said there's nothing better in life than walking into a cafe with an AK-47 strapped to your back and a knife in your belt. And you were talking about being overseas and being in the military. And I just remember being like, this woman's crazy. Like, <laughs> But I just, I am thankful for that because here we are 11 years later, we're having this conversation and, you know, it was nice to get, be able to catch up and it's nice to be able to say Bellator's flyweight champion. Liz Farmer. <laughs> so thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. This has been great. <laughs>